quick warning, this episode includes violent and disturbing content. In the year 1920, the United States was a country of constant racial violence. The great migration of southern black people moving north to find work had been met with fear, discrimination, and mass murder. African Americans were often used as scapegoats for the increasing levels of national crime during this period, and their migration was seen as an attempt to take the jobs of local white factory workers. This led to a rise in racially motivated murders. From 1877 to 1950, more than 4,400 black men, women, and children were lynched in America. They were burnt alive, hung from trees, skinned, and beaten to death. This brutal trend of violence came to a head in 1919, during the so-called Red Summer. During this period, from late winter through early autumn of 1919, white supremacist terrorist attacks and race riots erupted across the country. The Chicago race riots saw huge mobs consisting of mostly Irish immigrants burning down entire black neighborhoods, leaving thousands of people homeless. Washington, D.C. had a similar race riot occur a few months later. In Elaine, Arkansas, White vigilantes, with the help of both federal troops and the local Ku Klux Klan, killed at least 100 black people over a period of three days. This later became known as the Elaine Massacre. All of these murders were done in public. The steps of the local courthouse or police precinct were common places for lynchings to occur. The police and other authorities usually stood by and watched, or participated. This was the state of America in 1920 when a southern circus staffed with a large amount of black people came to the primarily white city of Duluth, Minnesota, to give a one-night performance. What happened soon after would become the most infamous lynching in Minnesota's history. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. Sources for this episode include the book The Lynchings in Duluth by Michael Fado, the National Geographic article A Brutal American Legacy by Deneen L. Brown, and the Minnesota Historical Society's Duluth Lynchings online resource. It was hard to find a job as a black man in the North in 1920. While conditions were better than they were in the South, there was still widespread discrimination, not to mention the constant threat of violence we touched on in the intro. This pushed young black men into less desirable jobs, one of which was to work as laborers in traveling circuses. These were the circumstances that found Elias Clayton, Elmer Jackson, and Isaac McGee working as cooks and general laborers for the John Robinson Circus. All three men were in their early 20s. Circus workers are inherently outsiders to the communities they visit and are often looked down upon as bringers of crime regardless of race. So when the John Robinson Circus, a Southern production that was staffed by a large number of black men, came to the overwhelmingly white Duluth, it was immediately viewed with suspicion. Regardless, the circus managed to sell thousands of tickets, largely to Duluth's younger residents. Two of those who attended were the 19-year-old woman, Irene Tuscan, and her 18-year-old friend, James Sullivan. Both were members of prominent, wealthy Duluth families. The two saw the circus, and at the end of the night, they walked to the back of the main tent and disappeared for a few hours. When they came home late into the night, neither mentioned anything to their parents. Early the next morning, Duluth Police Chief John Murphy received a call from James Sullivan's father. 
Sullivan's father claimed that six black circus workers had held James at gunpoint while they gang-raped Irene. When Murphy approached Irene, she corroborated Sullivan's claims. The Tuscan family physician found no indication of rape or even sexual intercourse, and no other evidence was presented or found. Despite that, the Duluth police immediately stopped the circus's train from leaving the area and pulled six black men from the circus that seemed roughly the same size as Sullivan's description. Among those men were Elias Clayton, Elmer Jackson, and Isaac McGee. The men were arrested and placed inside the Duluth City Jail. It should be noted that historically one of the most common excuses for a lynching is the false accusation of assault from a white woman against a black man. From the true events of the Emmett Till lynching to the plot of To Kill a Mockingbird, Irene Tuscan's story was a well-worn one at this point in time. Despite occurring only a few hours previously, the arrests had already been printed in the local newspaper by noon, and news of the alleged rape quickly traveled across the city. By evening, a mob of an estimated 10,000 people had gathered outside of the jail, calling for the deaths of the six black men. As night fell, the mob, wielding everything from baseball bats to railroad timbers, forced their way into the jail. They met almost no resistance from the Duluth police force, who had been ordered not to draw their weapons. The mob pulled all six black men from their cells and beat them severely. They then dragged Clayton, Jackson, and McGee into the street for a mock trial. Eyewitnesses say the trial only lasted for a few minutes before the three were declared guilty by the crowd. As they begged for mercy, they were stripped and beaten again before being hung from a light pole. According to Minnesota historian Michael Fado, it was the largest crowd ever gathered for a lynching in American history. By the morning, the Minnesota National Guard had arrived to enforce martial law in the city and to protect the surviving black prisoners. After securing Duluth, they moved the prisoners, along with a portion of the circus, to the St. Louis County Jail with an armed escort. The lynchings, which were unique both due to the size of the crowd, as well as their northern location, made headlines across the country. The fact that photos had been taken by members of the crowd during the lynching added to the visceral nature of the story. The reactions from the press and the public were varied. The Mankato Daily Press published an article days after the events in Duluth, that seemed to argue in support of the lynchings. It stated that mad dogs are shot dead without ceremony. Beasts in human shape are entitled to scant consideration. The law gives them, by far, too much of an advantage. Meanwhile, in Superior, Wisconsin, the town across the bay from Duluth, had its chief of police publicly declare that he was going to run the black people out of his town following the lynchings. However, there were also those that opposed the lynchings in Duluth. The Minneapolis Journal called the events a stain on the name of Minnesota, and the Chicago Evening Post featured a front-page article that stated, quote, The Duluth authorities stand condemned in the eyes of the nation. Three white men out of the 10,000 people present were charged with a the crime. Their names were Louis Dondino, Carl Hammerberg, and Gilbert Stevenson. They were charged with inciting a riot, and were each sentenced five years in prison, but ended up serving two. No one was ever convicted for the murder of the three black men. Max Madsen, one of the surviving suspects of the alleged rape, was convicted in 1921 and sentenced to 30 years in prison. In 1925, he was discharged on the condition that he leave the state of Minnesota and never return. Modern legal experts agree that the evidence against Madsen was not sufficient to prove his guilt, and he was pardoned of his supposed crime posthumously in 2020. The Duluth lynchings, despite being distinctively large in scale and press coverage, are still a relatively unknown piece of Minnesotan history. They are an important reminder that racial violence was not and is not unique to the South, 
and that every state has dark secrets hidden from view. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shaking America.